Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. Welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, episode 45. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host today, Ken Fader. Today we're interviewing Nigel Hetherington from Past Preservers. We talk to him about his company and how they provide professional archaeologists and historians for a wide variety of media, including television shows produced by such illustrious channels as the History Channel, National Geographic, and the Travel Channel. Nigel tells us about some upcoming projects that his company is working on and about how you can become an expert for past preservers as well. Get ready to think critically. See are a staple of archaeology, but we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Sarah and I'm here today with my co-host Ken. How's it going? It's good, Sarah. How are you? It's good. And today Excellent. we have a special guest, uh, Nigel Hetherington of Past Preservers, which is a media company that provides uh, professional archaeologists and historians to a wide variety of different media outlets. So, Nigel, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Hi there. Um, good evening. Good afternoon. What it is with you? Um, my name is Nigel Hetherington. As you said, I'm, my company is called Past Preservers. Um, I'm an archaeologist by training. Um, Egyptology was my speciality, Egyptian archaeology. That's where I was working when actually the idea came to me and my partner at the time, business partner Kelly Krauss, um, for Past Preservers. We were working in the Valley of the Kings, which as you can imagine um, gets a lot of attention from the media. And we worked with a very high-profile Egyptologist um, called Kent Weeks. I mean, recently we had a, a production in the UK that needed 50 experts, 50 different experts. Um, so all shows have a problem, you know, re- recruiting sure. people, not just your sort of, you know, your paranormal Egypts and things like that. We do have an issue trying to get people um, to sign up for these things. The younger people are more inclined to sign up for it, definitely. But often right. the TV shows want a bit more gravitas than that as well. They're looking for someone with a doctorate. They're looking for someone with, um, you know, a reasonable level of experience in their right. field. Well, not everybody is comfortable in front of a camera. And I, there are, there are colleagues of mine who I know would say, yeah, I'll do this, but I need an hour and 12 minutes, just the camera on my face, describing what you're, you know, answering your question. And of course, no TV show is going to do that. No, no, no TV documentary could survive doing that. Um, no, which is why one of the things we do a lot, and we've been, we push people to make as much video as possible. We have to have a video as part of our application process, so we need to see what someone's going to be like on camera. And right. so we get them to shoot those on their phones or whatever camera they can get hold of. It doesn't need to be, you know, in, 
incredibly high-end uh, with special lighting and cameras and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if all they've got is their phone, we say, fine, then shoot it on your phone. Um, and the more of those they do, obviously the first one they send in to us sometimes is a little bit, you know, doesn't show their best side. Um, and then eventually I, I, I say to them, you know, do another, have another go or get a friend to do it with you or talk through or write a little bit of a script out about yourself or a particular, or if you're on, you know, sure, but if you're nervous about talking about yourself, which some people are, you know, think of a, a particular subject that fascinates you or a particular part of history and tell us about that and why it interests you. And then mm. that gets them, you know, excited because it's some kind of, you know, they're one of their pet interests. So we find that the more that we push people to provide video, the more video they do, they get better, of course. They're, they're uh, you know, getting over those issues they have um, with mm. seeing themselves um, you know, played back, which it is. It, it can be very, you know, disconcerting the first yes, time you see yourself. Absolutely. So since we're on the topic, um, do you vet your presenters at all? Do you ever get people who send stuff in and you're just like, mm, no? Obviously, you know, we get a, we get a lot of applications in. We, we get them in, um, you know, when we're not particularly doing a, a particular uh, posting or a casting or a job. Um, they come in, you know, on a daily basis. So, but what our clients expect from us is that we're going to pick um, the best in their field. So, the first things that we're looking for is obviously expertise in the in a particular subject area. But we like to have a wide range of experts, obviously. So, um, we are looking really for the presence that someone can have on camera, and that can be helped, as I said, by if they make more videos, they get more confident. So it's not about, you know, age, gender, this sort of thing, or what someone looks like. Got to get the expertise right. They can build up the presence on camera and get more used to dealing with it. But I think it comes down to, you know, some people just naturally have it. Um, They're able to um, ignore the camera in many ways. Um, One of the biggest issues is getting people that can actually walk and talk at the same time. (laughs) It actually is an issue. It is an issue. Um, uh, a lot of presenters, full-time presenters, will tell you that's like the first thing they really they need to learn because they end up falling over, and um, or if they've got to to move an object or something like that. So if someone's showing us, you know, objects they're working on and things, they, people tend to go to pieces or they don't look at the camera because they're touching the object. So these things, um, you know, can be learned. People get better, but yes, we do have to have a selection process. So we will whittle down. The, the applications we get, and we'll supply the best of those applications to our client. And then our client will then want to interview the person um, and to take it forward. Then they will normally then present them to a the network who will then want to interview them, if, particularly if it's a presenter position. If it's an expert, they'll leave it with the production company's judgment uh, for that person. But if it's obviously someone who's going to um, have their own show, it can take a long time. And we're currently, you know, in negotiations at the moment that have gone on um, for three or four months with networks over a particular producer. So these things can take time. One of the other things that your site says that you provide is research and background research. So my question here is um, for shows that deal, for shows that deal with the fringe, um, when you provide this background research for them, how what are they asking you for if you can tell us and how do they use it after you give it to them or do you even see them use it or just it just becomes seamless um sometimes there it's a very broad of a brush type of a, a review for instance sometimes people will ask us say what is the particular 
uh, work going on in a, in a particular area. So say in Egypt, uh, can you provide us details of current excavations um, and reach out to that community and do some research on that behalf, or they would say maybe um, we did one recently where a show about Cleopatra was being made and they wanted us basically to sum up everything that was known about Cleopatra. Um, so the theories, the media hype, the rest of it, provide that on a, a very simple laid out document to them that said, look, these are the facts, these are the myths, and these are the, you know, the current theories. So, of course, with someone like Cleopatra, it's wonderful to do something like that because the vast majority of it is myth and rumor. Um, there are very actually few hard facts. Um, and, of course, when you go to them and then say, actually, these are the hard facts, some people, including my father, when I had this discussion with him, wouldn't believe me. <laughs> you know? It was like, no, they must, know, they must know more than that about her. And, you know, with someone so historically, you know, uh, well-known, we think, you know, that you would think that we would know everything there is to know about her, but of course we don't, because the majority of the things we know about Cleopatra are actually from, um, you know, early historians and then later embellished by Hollywood. Right. So, you know, everyone thinks of Elizabeth Taylor and all this sort of thing. So we, yes. with the production company, we had to kind of, you know, root them in reality because they wanted to make a show that was very rooted in literally, you know, because they were doing a show about... Um, uh, an archaeologist whose life has been dedicated to the search for Cleopatra. So from her point of view, she's going to find her. But from their point of view, they really want to know, is she actually going to find her? Mm -hmm. um, so can you tell us, is she? Uh, and I, I was quite frank with them from the minute I saw them. I said, I might be talking mm -hmm. myself out of, a, out of a job, but I don't actually think she is going to find her. But it's a fantastic, you know, wonderful um, story to cover in a documentary because the whole world is captivated by Cleopatra. Sure. Okay, so we're gonna go to break real quick and when we come back, we'll keep talking with Nigel Hetherington. The Archaeology Podcast Network's conference channel is a collection of interviews from conferences around the world. Interviews are usually posted during the conference with minimal editing so you, the listener, can be there virtually. Check out the conference feed at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash conferences. Now let's get back to the show. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back and we are talking with Nigel Hetherington and I wanted to ask you a question about your appearance on the first season of America Unearthed and you were brought in as an expert um, and Walter Scott Walter the host of the show presented you with a river rock that had what he tries to claim is a carving of an apis bull 
And where that. was this found? Where was this found? Um, Wasn't it in Minnesota or somewhere? Oh, okay. like, I yeah, mean, yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. Quite odd. So the Midwest, American Midwest, okay. Yeah, yeah, and it was the... So the finding story of it is very fishy to begin with, um, and the, the whole episode's just... It's an episode. Um, but you were the Egyptologist expert that they brought in, and I was really impressed with how you handled this, but can you tell us about how how you were presented with this stone, what you thought about it? Were you given any warning beforehand? Were you able to research it at all? Or was it just kind of fly off the, the cuff kind of thing? Um, I had a little bit of knowledge of the show. Um, they told me um, the premise of the show, because I think this was the first season. Um, oh no, it was the second season, but they, they told me the uh, premise of the show and uh, what Scott did and et cetera, his background. And that he was looking at objects that basically were kind of misplaced in time um, and space as such. Um, so I knew roughly what it'd be. And obviously being an Egyptologist, I knew it was obviously something to do with Egypt that they were going to unwrap for me. Um, but I didn't see it, no, until the day. And I flew out to their studios to do the, the shoot. And uh, so they unveiled it and... Um, Straight away, the idea, I could tell where they got the idea that it was, you know, um, connected to Egypt, ancient Egypt, but um, because it was this allegedly apis bull figure. Um, to me, it looked like a bull and it looked like quite a lot of ancient bull figures you see, but certainly it wasn't Egyptian. Um, obviously, impossible to date um, right. a, rock that, a rock that had been in a river um, as such, a riverbed, um, you know. Strange objects turned up all over the place, you know, you just never know that, um, you know, someone could have carved it, you know, very, very recently and then just threw it out um, for all we know. But the, the, the production company, as I said, I have a long history with them. Um, so I knew that I was being invited in as someone who was actually going to stand up to him and actually was going to, you know, sort of have a debate about the object and why it couldn't be um, ancient Egyptian. Um, and why it wasn't even a very good copy of an ancient Egyptian <laughs> object. So I did feel, I mean, I got a few people asking me when I was telling them what I was, go what I was going to do. They're like, oh, are you sure about that? And I was like, look, no, I know the production company. I know what they're like. I know this isn't going to be something that's kind of, um, I'm going on to say, oh, yes, I think it could be ancient Egyptian. I liked the way when you presented on the show, um, I liked the way, because I've watched... Uh, most of the first season now and Walter has a habit of just kind of steamrolling whoever he's talking to it doesn't matter if they're an expert in favor or an expert not in favor but I think you're the first person and the only person on the show so far that's kind of turned the table on him and kind of asked him why he thinks the things that he does because I remember there was a point where you were asking him why he thought the carving was an apis bull and or you asked him what the wavy lines on the back of the bull was and oh. he said blood because it had been sacrificed and you were just kind of like well why do you think that and why do you think it has to be an apis bull why can't it be a bison or something like that and i i liked that because like i said you're the only person i've seen on the show do that so far um so i think part of that not to kind of blow my own trumpet but um obviously i've got you know a reasonable amount of media experience in front and behind the camera so Obviously, you know, they're friends of mine, the production company uh, folks. So I felt comfortable in their environment. Um, it, another expert may have not. 
Um, this is why, you know, one of the things we try to do is to get people to feel comfortable in the environment they're going to be in, to, ch to, to actually say if they don't want to talk about a particular subject, um, if they don't want to, um, you know, answer a particular question, to actually stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we're, you know, we're here to be, you know, represent the experts and the media. And that, it is a fine line sometimes because obviously the media want one thing and the experts want to be, uh, uh, shown in another way um, but we try and give both the confidence to ask what they want and to mediate between them so I think this show definitely I was told from the beginning was going to be one that where the expert was there to challenge um, the mm -hmm. presenter um, and to say why this couldn't possibly be true but also not to be totally negative and say well actually I can understand why someone might think it looks ancient Egyptian but it's not <laughs> mm -hmm. right now, have you ever had an experience where you've had to turn down a production company? They've come to you, they need an expert, you've seen the work that they've done, and it's so egregiously bad that there just is no way you would want one of the people you represent to participate. Has that ever happened, or can you foresee that ever happening? I think now we have more experience. There are certain people that we wouldn't work with, but mm -hmm. that's more to do with actually the way they work, their professional uh, right. reputation. And often it comes down to actually people who don't pay their bills and things like that. Right, okay. Um, that yes. is completely unacceptable in any industry, quite frankly. Um, and also people who you feel quite uncomfortable working with, you know, you just don't have a, a good vibe. Right. And obviously, you know, as a business grows, you can make any business that is, you can make those decisions not to work, not to, to turn down a particular job. Um, but we do try to help the media in, in mm -hmm. finding someone, you know, um, if it's a particular show that, say, is, um, you know, more fringe uh, than mainstream, then obviously, you know, our first call is to reach out to the student population or something like that. We'll be more happy to do it. Mm -hmm. um, or if someone um, wants to appear to do research, particularly on a, on a show, but may not want their name known. Um, so we will say... Um, to the production company, sorry, he'll do, he or she will do the work for you, but uh, they don't want the credit, um, and they're quite happy to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I there are you know some companies out there I, I'm not too happy I wouldn't want to work with, but in the main, again, mm -hmm. um, you know, those kind of production companies don't last, um, and so there aren't really you know any currently out there that I would try to avoid. Okay, fair enough. Can you uh, can you go over one of the new projects that you're working with because you're talking about the different production companies and earlier you had mentioned new forms of media that are becoming important for reaching out and basically educating the public um, and you were talking about a YouTube channel that's getting ready to launch that you're working with in league with an encyclopedia yeah um, yeah actually just today um, it was the launch um, of the um, history etc it's going to be called a new YouTube series um, from the uh, founders of the Ancient History Encyclopedia and ourselves. They are a wonderful online resource. It's the biggest now um, ancient history um, encyclopedia uh, online. They're getting in crazy, crazy numbers of views and figures, something like one and a half million hits per month, um, unique visitors. So, you know, it's, it is, as I said, a fantastic resource that uh, young people are turning to. So we were, you know, 
absolutely over the moon to to help them out with actually producing video um, and getting some content up there. They wanted their own content. So actually, going back on what we said before, the way we said we don't produce our own content, this we actually have worked closely um, with the producer um, and the presenters to actually um, produce the content. Um, so they're short films that will actually, you know, just be three or four minutes, which will kind of, you know, debunk maybe possibly or demystify or sort of provide an extra level of information on the subject. So, for instance, if you, you know, go to Mesopotamia on their website, you'll find a film that will then give you an insight into Mesopotamia. The idea is that we will have films on most of their top definitions. So we'll start with those and we'll work on to the others. So our presenters, um, Sheila Hoffman and Trevor Wallace, who were selected, we had a wonderful, um, uh, huge uh, casting competition um, uh, over 18 months ago, and we got hundreds of entrants. And the, the good thing with this is the presenters actually get to write their own material. So there was a lot of um, interest from uh, young researchers, young scholars, who wanted to write their own uh, uh, scripts for these shows. So this is a wonderful sort of new media. Um, you know, young people and, and actually even old folks like us, people are viewing media in different ways now. They're viewing media on tablets, they're viewing media on their phones. Um, they're watching YouTube. They're not watching um, network TV. So things are changing, um, you know, with the launch of Amazon Prime and Netflix and this kind of thing. So we want to be part of that. Um, we want to be part of developing new content. So this is a fantastic opportunity. Just as when we were approached by Sega to make the films for their computer games, of course, we want to get into that world too. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think mainstream media is going anywhere soon. I think it'll be around for a long time. But the new media as such um, is in going to increasingly take a lot of that market. And obviously, we want to be part of that. So I want to ask you some kind of hard-hitting questions, and you can dodge them mm. if you want. Um, you do, you have in the past, and you probably will in the future, continue to make show or continue to participate in the making of shows that deal with the fringe. Um, how do you, how do you as a professional archaeologist, how do you balance that? Because you, you kind, do they tell you what the shows are about when they come and ask you to be on them? Absolutely. We get told um, what the show's about. We get sent um, a show outline. We have to often sign uh, non-disclosure agreements and things like mm. this to be able to get information from them. But that's kind of normal in, in a lot of businesses. Right. But we, we know what we're getting involved with, yes. And we weigh it up depending on who we will actually fit to the, to the project. Um, I would say rather than fringe, I would say that these are what are mainstream topics of interest to the public. Um, Cleopatra, Tutankhamun, um, you know, ancient Rome, warfare, these kind of things, um, shipwrecks, etc. You know, there's well, those, a huge those interest. Those kind of topics I don't consider fringe. What right. when I'm when I'm using the word fringe, I'm referring to things like I don't know. Have you guys been involved with ancient aliens? No, absolutely not. We right. do that. Well, right. So shows like that, Ancient Aliens, I, I know you guys have done a little bit with America on Earth, um, and a show that sounds wonderfully awful, The uh, Haunted or Paranormal Egypt, I believe it is. Yes, that's right. And we also did, um, actually, one of our experts did research for 
um, at Search for the Lost Giants, um, nice. <laughs> which um, actually they took it on board with the information that we provided. He debunked everything that these people claimed that these mm-hmm. giants in America, and that was that was the um, our sort of terms of business with them is that our archaeologist was providing research for the other side of the argument. Mm-hmm. Whether they decided to use it in the final show, I don't know. I never saw it. So when you when you go into these shows or you're asked to participate in these shows, you guys make it a point to say, we are professionals. We're going to provide you with facts, whether they back your story up or not. And the production companies are okay with that. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, I think there's a misconception that, you know, someone starts off with an idea to make um, a show that's um, full of baloney. Um, you know, they... What happens is that, you know, say uh, someone starts to touch a, a historical figure such as Tutankhamun or Cleopatra, you know, to use as another example, is they suddenly find out that actually lots of things that they know as a sort of just an individual um, with a very good, you know, a lot of these people have a very good uh, education degrees, etc. But they suddenly find out actually most of what they know is just myths, rumors, uh, theories, and so it can be quite, you know, disconcerting for the producer who sets off on a research journey to find out actually a lot of the things they've seen before on TV shows are not true or they are just theories. Mm-hmm. Um, so often that can, can can kind of, you know, cloud the judgment of, of where these shows go to. But we try to steer them to a different course and say, actually, well, OK, there may be lots of myths and rumors and this sort of thing about the, these uh, characters. But actually, did you know? Did you know X, Y, Z? Um, for instance, Cleopatra, one of the things we managed to get in, in, into the show was that her children, very little is actually done in research as well about what happened to her children and also what happened to her after the Battle of Actium and before she dies. According to some uh, uh, Egyptologists, um, that actually could be anything up to 90 days um, or six months. Um, so what was she doing? Where are those missing days? That, to me, is a fantastic documentary in its own right. So what we try and do is steer them into a new, a new research area that they can look into too. What, meanwhile, obviously they'll want to cover the stuff, you know, did she really dissolve a pearl? And did she, you know, try and um, uh, kill her servants by practicing poisons on them? Um, <laughs> but if we can steer them to also something else and some new research and um, new excavations, then we'll try and do that. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's, sounds great. And and I'm sure that applies to the shows that you're referring to. But there, are, there, there still will be a, a residuum of shows like Ancient Aliens that have bullshit at its very core. <laughs> its very reason for existing is to promulgate bullshit. And that, that becomes a lot more problematic. But as you say, you've never been involved with Ancient Aliens. But, but certainly the legendary giant show had at its very core was bullshit. And I think we would, at least maybe Sarah and I, or I would argue that that America unearthed has at its very core a, 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 a core of bullshit that I can't get get past. Yeah, exactly. But we've done over you know thirty projects, and I appeared as a uh, talking head on one episode of I don't right. know how many series yeah. there. You know, um, we've done everything from PBS to the BBC to mm-hmm. um, you know we've just done a series of. Um, uh, small uh, promotional films for Tutankhamun, exhibitions around the world where we've, you know, worked on the script and translated the sure. scripts and this sort of thing. So, and we've worked on a film that's actually just been uh, presented um, later next week at the Berlin Film Festival 
Nothing Escapes My Eyes. We filmed with them in Cairo. It's about the opera house. It's a wonderful, it's the first film we've ever done. A short film, but it was wonderful to do a film because we've never been involved in that world. So we try to, you know, choose new areas to get involved with. As I said, you know, the online world, the gaming world, the film world. So we can say to people, we also, uh, we've assisted authors um, in the past as well, doing their research on, on their books. What we want to be able to do is that all, all of the sort of media world can come to us and we can put them in touch with the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can, if it's an expert or they need a researcher, they need a presenter, need someone to hold their hand through the process that they're going through, they should be able to come to the academic world and get entry to it. And we're, I suppose, we're the gatekeepers, if, any, if anything. I like, I, I like I that. Can I ask you why you would not, because you said you would never be involved with a show like Ancient Aliens. Can I ask you specifically why, or is that a bridge too far? Well, we never got approached. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the thing is, I don't really know too much about it, as I say, because I don't tend to watch a lot of those kind of things. But obviously, say, for instance, someone came to me and they said, OK, we're going to make um, UK aliens. You know, has the world, was Stonehenge or, you know, vis- uh, right. built by aliens? And I would say, OK, so what is it? So they'd have, you know, obviously the UFO guy who believes in all this stuff. Right. And I would say, OK, so I want an archaeologist I want a scientist and I want a debunker as part of the team. If that was the show, that would be great. Um, you know, that, I mean, I'm really interested in what is fringe archaeology and what people want to believe with Egypt, particularly. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that it's huge. And everyone, everyone you ever meet and you say you're Egyptologist, they start asking you about all these crazy theories. Um, and so it, the public do... You know, they have this wonderful, they have this appetite for these uh, uh, theories, these larger than life uh, stories. So if there was a show that covered that, but was happy to show the other side and why the archaeologists, you know, you know, moan and groan when they hear these stories again, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I'd love to do that because I'd love to challenge the people who believe that archaeology, uh, you know, he's hiding the secrets or that Zahir Oas has got a, you know, a secret tunnel to the, to the Sphinx in his old office and all this sort of stuff, you know, where do they get these ideas from? Where do they come from? Uh, why do they want to believe them? I, I think it's fascinating. I think that would make a great show. Someone, <laughs> yes, should, absolutely. someone should go to your website and propose that. Yes, they uh. should. Download <laughs> form now. <laughs> I would do that one without, without, you know, without hesitation but i think you know there are shows that yes if they came to us that unless they were providing that kind of forum for both sides of the argument um then it would be it would have to be a no because i know that our experts would feel exploited they wouldn't enjoy the experience and and ultimately we would be criticized for it i mean years ago i did a show in egypt called chasing mummies and I worked on that show for nine months with Zahir Oas. It was meant to be a sort of reality TV show about his life when he was the, uh, the head of the, um, what was then the um, uh, Supreme Council of Antiquities. It's now a ministry. Um, but it was, I knew from the beginning that I was approached that it was the kind of show that was going to actually have to be made in Egypt following a minister was going to have to be one that a lot of it um, really, um, you wouldn't get the insights into the world. It's not like if you followed someone in the US, et cetera, a minister here is not going to allow that kind of access um, <laughs> that the, the program makers would like. 
So, of course, even though we covered lots of amazing discoveries and wonderful things happening in Egypt over nine months, a lot of the time it came down to just following the kids that were on the show and what they were getting up to. Um, so, of course, I remember being interviewed for some uh, TV show and they said to me, you know, oh, aren't you ashamed of it? And I was like, of course I'm not ashamed of it. Or whatever. It's, it's actually quite funny, even though history didn't want it to be a funny <laughs> show. They're not too happy that it was funny. Um, and it became a cult TV show in the UK, which is always good. Um, and it's just fun. It's entertainment. And at the same time, we can make something like that, but we can then do a series um, on the ancient world with wild dreams and, and get the best experts in the world to talk about their work and what they're doing um, and tell the world, you know, this is what archaeology really is. This is what um, historians do. And I think you can do both. I, I think you have more success over in Britain than you do here in America because I know that Time Team America was an incredible, or sorry, Time Team was an incredibly long-running show, very popular, yeah. had a very strong following, still has a huge fan base. Yeah. Um, here in America, uh, it was a beautiful show, and we've talked to the the people involved with it several times now on the channels, but oh. the first season was paid for, the second season they got a grant for it, and that was great, but there's there's no money for a third season, and... I mean, most people didn't don't even realize that there was a Time Team America. No. And that's but if you ask them about a show like um, Ancient Aliens or America on Earth or Diggers or whatever the new Pot Hunter show is, they all know what those shows are, and they take it seriously here. Like you, you keep saying over over there, it's like that's a joke. Everybody knows it's a joke. They don't know it's a joke here, and that's the problem. Like people people see these shows and they they think they're authentic and that's not your fault at all that's that's a problem that we no, have and the that's here. an issue yeah with the public but i think you know time team yeah the time team format in the in the, the, the of, sorry the time team format of the uh, us show uh, was different to the uk one um, i think the format of the uk show would have been better transported over um, it's a great show but as i said i don't think it was seen by many people there were um, you know uh, fantastic uh, presenters on there who are now uh, on our books as presenters and I think also you've got a bad slot I mean I think yeah. initially it went out in the summer which was couldn't quite understand why PBS would do that um, I mean who watches TV in the summer so you know it didn't seem it did seem that almost they didn't give it much of a chance well let's go to break real quick and when we come back we will wrap up our discussions with Nigel Hetherington Hosted by archaeologist Emily Long, Trial Tales is an archaeology podcast with stories told by archaeologists about the crazy world of archaeology. Emily weaves a tale of wonder and excitement with her intriguing questions and imaginative editing skills. Check out Trial Tales today at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash trial tales. Now let's get back to the show. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back, and we are still talking with Nigel Hetherington from Past Preservers. Can I, I, I think I'm kind of dancing around this question, and you kind of have answered it a little bit, but I'd like to get a, a solid, you know, spread from this but what as someone who is involved with media production and like you said you're a professional archaeologist you've been in the field for a while what do you think your responsibilities are as a professional archaeologist presenting archaeology to the public through forums such as television and now movies and even youtube i think that we have a duty as archaeologists to engage with the public um, or all of the, uh, you know, the social sciences as such as well. We need to reach, you know, reach out to people. We need to explain what we're doing. Um, often, you know, there are public funds spent on what we're doing. Um, and people are interested. People are fascinated by cultures such as ancient Egypt. Um, they're fascinated by archaeology and, and history. There's a huge appetite for it. If you look at the numbers of people who go to historical sites in the UK alone, um, it's phenomenal number of people. Um, so it, it's important, and, and for us at Press Preservers, I mean, what we've been trying to do over the years, and we've, you know, got to that point now where the company's changed quite a bit from our original um, ideas, is that we're reaching out now to people and saying the networks directly. We can do that. We've done enough productions. We can open doors to them and say, look, okay, we've got um, these two young people, or we've got this project. Um, or we've heard about this new discovery, you need to know about it, and you should get out there and make a show about it. So we can open those doors. And if they're not interested as well, then we have other channels that we can go through, like developing a YouTube channel. We hope eventually with the Ancient History Encyclopedia YouTube channel to actually have news on that. So every week um, we'll go out into the field and find out what is going on around the world. Um, that is increasingly how people are finding out their news about um, archaeology and, and the past as well, is from citizen sort of journalism as such. Yes. Um, we have a good friend who has, um, has a wonderful website and Facebook page, Heritage Daily. It's one of the biggest news portals for heritage and archaeology and history. He, you know, he's built that up himself because the mainstream media weren't covering news stories um, in the way he felt they should be. They were just reporting when something was, you know, the oldest, the biggest, the one, you know, the, the most valuable kind I of thoughts. I call that artifact porn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. It that, has, you know, it has nothing to do with archaeology or history or anything like that. It's just, ooh, big, shiny, here, look at this. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And so, you know, we want to work with people like Heritage Daily. We want to work with people, Ancient History Encyclopedia. They have huge audiences. They have... Uh, devoted followers who go to them to either do their research because they're doing their, their work for college or school or because they want to find out the latest news and post it to, to Facebook or their Twitter accounts. So we have to be connected to them. That is the future of storytelling. That's the future of reaching people about what we're doing um, in the archaeological world. And we can reach them so quickly 
as well. I mean, it's it's an instant thing. Um, and so definitely it's something that we are trying now to to find a way into that world, to work with those people and to develop new types of media. So we're really excited that we, you know, okay, we're not saying that these projects that we've done in the past, that's the end of them. Of course it's not. We continue to work with the media to get experts to improve their shows, to provide research for them. Uh, but we also want to help shape shows on our own. Yeah, I think the, the really important, uh, one really important point you made is that people do want to hear stories about antiquity. And as you say, that the, the, the uh, attendance at, at historical sites and heritage sites in the UK are very high. I think it's the same here in the United States, that, that Mesa Verde and Chaco Canyon and Cahokia and a, a, a host of other places get very high attendance records. People want to see, they want to know, they want to hear stories about these very interesting places. And if we leave it, if, if, if we disengage from that public interest, we leave that field open to folks who not, are not necessarily looking at a scientific, or not applying science to, to finding out what happened in the past. And so if we don't, if we as archeologists don't have the wherewithal to produce our own shows, um, the next best thing is something like Past Preservers where we make ourselves available to those shows that are being made to lend that voice of, of science and experience and expertise to their discussions of, of the myriad stories about human antiquity. And that's an important thing. I think yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think it's really important that, you know, people reach out, um, not just to us and sign up on our database. Obviously, we want people to do that, but also to get in touch with Ancient History Encyclopedia and write articles and uh, write, um, you know, um, uh, definitions and, and uh, these sort of things for the encyclopedia or get in touch with Ancient um, Heritage Daily and, uh, you know, write articles for that about your dig. Um, or produce your own, you know, you can do your own YouTube channel and get out blogs about your um, excavation or your research. Right. Um, there's some of the, you know, biggest online blogs uh, are to do with history and archaeology. People, as I said, there's a, a huge market for that kind of material and people want to hear it firsthand, not secondhand as well. I think one of the interesting things that I've heard you bring up through this entire podcast, though, is the whole concept. You keep saying it's good TV, and I think you and Ken both just hit it on the head here with the story part. When you're saying it's good TV, you're not saying, to me, what I'm hearing is, because I think good TV is like factual, and it has evidence, and it's not joking around, and it's got this and that. But what you're saying is, is it's entertaining. It's going to hold people's attention and it's going to make people want to come back and watch episode two as opposed to never come back again. Well, and I think that... you can do both. I mean, if you look at something like, say, natural history on TV, of course, there's not a lot of joking around with David Attenborough or something, but it's entertaining. It's in, you know, the thing is that he engages with the public. He makes you want to find out more about those ants or whatever he's talking about at a particular time. <laughs> and, you know, I think it has to, the presenter has to know their subject. Um, they have to they have to be able to engage with the public and get them to want to sit there um, you know for half an hour or an hour and not get up and change or you know change the channel or go and make a cup of tea or whatever so I, I think you can do both definitely yeah. um, well you know it's, it's the w very well known archaeologist Sir Mortimer Wheeler who said dead archaeology is the driest dust that blows 
and that's true. We it, it's it, we we can make it dead, and people will not be at all interested, and they'll flock to something entertaining and interesting like Ancient Aliens. Or we can make sure that that the real deal archaeology that we present on shows like um, if it's America Unearthed or any of these others, at least at least people will be excited by what we are saying and how we're saying it. Well, that's what I'm getting at. It's like the way that you make a documentary today is not the way that you made a documentary in like the 70s. Um, no. The, those documentaries are chocked full of what they thought was information at the time, um, but they're kind of boring. Yes. Um, but the stuff that makes it on TV and the, one of the reasons why Ancient Aliens does as well as it does and America Unearthed did as well as it did, because it's actually off the air now, um, but they're they're fun to watch. I mean, I don't like the content in the show, but and yeah, like half of the show is just epic driving. Scott Walter driving his car around with some epic music playing in the background, but it, it's entertaining. Um, and... No, but I, I think there are ways. I mean, for instance, I don't one one show that we did. I think which kind of sits on both of those fences. Um, we did Brewmasters with um, uh, Dogfish Head Brewery. Um, and um, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, actually, now, and, it, you know, we did reasonably well in, in the U.S. It was a U.S. Uh, uh, transmitted show. And they looked at ancient, uh, you know, beers and wines and went around the world with uh, Patrick McGovern, who's a fantastic uh, professor, and he is the world expert on sort of ancient beers and wines. <laughs> and they went to different countries around the world, basically, and remade these old brews. And then Dogfish Head sold them in their in their in their shops and breweries um you know if it worked essentially you know if it came sure. out tasting that's something that the public would want but they came to egypt and we made an episode with them and it was good fun it was definitely you know fun to watch tv because we went through the whole process of trying to make beer from scratch and collect yeast and all this sort of thing and try some of the local boozer that the sudanese community brew from um, you know, fermented bread and things, you know, some, um, so it was fun and engaging, but also we were telling the history of actually how the ancient Egyptians used it as a commodity um, to pay the wages of the people that built the pyramids. Well, exactly. um, so there was enough history in there for people who wanted that. Um, but then, of course, they could go to their local, you know, dogfish head pub and actually buy a pint of this um, tar hankered beer. Well, yeah, and that's my point. I mean, you there is a way to make a documentary that is both factual and also entertaining. I mean, Cosmos, right? the, the the latest reiteration of Cosmos is certainly both of those things. Um, I saw the 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 Brewmasters episode that you were talking about, and huh. yeah, it's it's not just that it had to do with beer, which everybody loves, but yeah. you know, it, it was an entertaining way to present a topic of interest, and anybody. I think that's part of the the, the problem with um, archaeology sometimes is we're kind of boring <laughs> and we don't really know how to not be boring. And I understand that, you know, that's stepping out of the box for a lot of people. I mean, we've all been to conferences and we've all been there with that guy that does mm. nothing but just read from his paper in a monotone. Mm. And that's what people think of when that's what people who know archaeology think of when they think an archaeological presentation you know they don't think of something fun and the lighting's bright and the pictures are pretty and the the presenter is engaged yeah yeah but most most archaeology conferences if you were to film those it would be a really good cure for insomnia yeah i i don't exactly yeah we've all yeah. been uh, as you oh, said yeah, in sure. conferences and stuff i don't know if you ever heard the comedian eddie hissard <laughs> okay. um, 
bit where he does a bit about speed archaeology. If only archaeology was speeded up, then more people would be interested in it. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and that was the thing with Time Team. People even criticized that, you know, that it was dumbing down and that they were trying to do, you know, um, archaeology in three days, which is totally ridiculous. Um, but it, it caught the public's imagination. It was a slow build. It wasn't a success straight away. And this is the thing as well with a lot of uh, shows now is that they have to win the audience straight away, that the networks Ooh. are not prepared to, you know, right. let something be a slow burner um, like Time Team. I don't think something like Time Team really could come again unless it was probably, you know, the BBC or some funder who could give it um, uh, time to catch on with, with the public. Well, and like you said, the way we consume media is changing television the formats for television are completely different than the formats for online even online shows mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. necessarily youtube because i we're a big youtube household here we watch a lot of it but it's it's like how we watch television when i was a kid though we there are channels we go to we watch shows we and our shows are the longest I think is maybe 20 minutes. I mean, even yeah. TED Talks yeah. aren't longer yeah. than usually 20, 25 minutes. Exactly. I mean, it is. And now you've got new players, you know, coming into the market. We're really excited. Um, we have a partnership with a, a US company who's moving to the UK that we are hopeful we can announce in a, a couple of months' time. But they have set themselves up in the UK solely to deal with the new players in the market. So people like Netflix, YouTube are commissioning their own programming. Amazon is moving into um, you know, commissioning their own programming. Um, it's, the, the landscape is changing um, totally. And these people, these new players, have deep pockets, really Ooh. deep pockets. And they want to make, if you look at what um, you know, Netflix spent on House of Cards, um, you know, millions per hour. Uh, compared to you know traditional broadcasters, they wanted to make the best that there was, and that's what they're saying. They want to do with documentaries. They want to take, turn documentaries on their head and make the best you can possibly make because they only want to put that kind of content on their on their platforms yeah. um, because their their subscribers expect that. So that presents a great opportunity for folks in archaeology. Exactly. Uh, and the, the thing is that you can really, they're also not interested, these new broadcasters, if we can call them that, in the sort of traditional model of making uh, documentaries. That's going to have to change, or the, the traditional uh, model of ha making TV shows. They don't want to go through a commissioning process. You know, you've got a situation now in UK and the US where sort of almost about 12 people um, control what goes on all the TV we see. Oh, wow. um, you know, they, they're saying Netflix, actually, we're not really interested. We want to know what you're making. Of course, we want to know what it is we, you know you want to sell to us, but essentially we're not commissioning it. You raise the money, you make the wow. show, you go out there, then we'll buy it from you. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's changing. You know, people have got into that um, uh, feeder system of, you know, doing your pitches. And the majority of all pitches, probably over 90%, that any production company pitches in any sort of field is rejected. Um, so it's all, as I said, it comes down to a, a few individuals. And it's actually getting less because the, the way that the BBC has been restructured now, everything in the UK, they have less controllers. So actually, there's, that 12 people is probably um, too, too many now. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to be a ex really exciting time in the media landscape because. As you said, people are, uh, who are growing up who 
treat media very differently, who treat news very differently. Um, and they want to all that sort of merge together as well. So if they're, you know, watching um, a documentary, they want to click on and actually find out the, you know, the Wikipedia leak, uh, uh, link for that temple or tomb that they're watching. And then they want to, you know, go back to the documentary maybe. Maybe they want to tweet about it at the same time. They're doing all these things at the same time they're watching it. And I think that we should totally put links in sideshows because one of the things that used to aggravate the crap out of me with old documentaries is not being able to check sources. And we have a golden opportunity with the online media to set things up in a way that while you're watching that documentary on whatever, you can mm -hmm. click on an image or click on a link in the, that pops up on the screen or something, and it can immediately take you to the sources that they're citing or something that can give you more in-depth information than the show has time to go into. Exactly. This is why, you know, okay. we're so engaged with, you know, I'm um, getting involved with ancient history encyclopedia because they, you know, they can build those kind of platforms. They can bring those kind of numbers to our experts and also, you know, open up a whole new world for them, um, for young people to find out about what these experts are actually doing. Well, we've only got about five more minutes left. Ken, do you have any more questions you want to ask Nigel? Um, I mean, not, not off the top of my head. I mean, I, I just want to comment on how, um, how impressed I am by how this show went. At the very beginning, Nigel, I was kind of skeptical only <laughs> because, well, I mean, what I made this kind of snap judgment based on some of the shows that in which you've been involved. Um, but I was wrong to be so skeptical. Um, and I think this is, this is it's, it's, the key thing here is that we as professional archaeologists, again, we need to be engaged in in, in passing along the information that we know, the, the research that we do, to a, a public that's obviously very interested. If we don't, we create a vacuum, and that vacuum is filled by all kinds of folks exactly. who don't necessarily have the same the same um, motivations and end game that we have in mind. And so, all of these opportunities are are important, and that archaeologists have to take advantage of them. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would kind of like to, you know, sort of end with that. I think that's a wonderful sum up and with an appeal to say to people, you know, we are interested in what they have to say. We do want them to sign up our expert database. We do want to hear from them about their projects, about their research, about their plans. Without them, without the experts, there is no pass preservers. Um, we're totally built on that and we're, we're built on their expertise. Um, and we need them to come to us so we can get those programs made. Well, and I would like to tell your experts as well. I mean, podcasting is also a, a new media. It's a, I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's really taking off and coming into its own. And if any of those people have a great idea for a podcast, go over to the Archaeological Podcasting Network and send Chris a pitch for a good show because we're always looking for new shows as well. And the more of this we can get out there and the more types of media we can reach into, the better we're going to be. Yeah, I mean, podcasting, who, who, I mean, it's it's really taken off, isn't it? I mean, it's huge now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my podcast is more popular than my blog, and my blog has longer staying power. I'm really surprised <laughs> at how well uh, the podcasts that we have on the network are, are doing. Um, and I'd love to see more of that kind of stuff happen. Cool. Well, we're happy to share that with our folks, definitely. Well, Nigel, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for telling us about past preservers. And Absolutely. Yeah, and thanks for changing Ken's mind. 
Absolutely. <laughs> that, which that, is, that and actually, the... it's a good job you said that because actually, my I've got a a, a new girl working with us in the office now, Natasha. And she said that actually the same thing. When she first looked at the website, she was like, oh, what are these crappy shows? <laughs> and um, she said, you need a new showreel. Actually, we do need a new showreel, showing more of a kind of balance of the type of shows that we've yes. done. Yes. So it's time I did that. Right. So, so thanks for that. Yes, I, I changed my mind, which is probably the first time that's ever happened <laughs> in my life. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Right? Fantastic. Well, thank lovely to talk much. to both of you. No, that was very nice talking to you. And guys, thank you very much for joining me for the podcast. And I will talk to you guys later. All right. trials as one will call. No, we don't do dinosaur. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Fantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash Fantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show was produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.